So it's an interesting time in our world, isn't it? Our our country, <clears throat> it seems to be getting different by the day. But as I was thinking about what we do, what I say, I thought through several things that I could say, and and really I've come to the conclusion that I thought about sharing my political views, but I'm not sure that that's what you're here for. I don't think that would help too much. But as I think about our world and this faith family, you know, there's perhaps some who believe that um, this is the worst time in our country that you've ever seen. Perhaps there's some who think it's about time we have a change in the White House. And however that makes you feel, whatever that makes you think, I want to I want to remind us of God's word today. And I am forty nine years old and it is a weird time for me. I've seen things that I haven't ever seen. And you know, I am firmly set in middle age. <laughs> and so I don't know from those of you who are older than I am what what you were seeing and how it compares in your lifespan. But I want to give some perspective today. I want to give some perspective of, of who we are, of whose we are, and what we should be about. And so... I want to look at a familiar text, one of my favorite texts in the whole Bible. And before I am dead, you will have heard this text many, many, many times because I love Isaiah chapter 6. And so I want to read the, the, I want to read a lot of it, but I want to read just the first part as we get started here. And I want to read Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 7. And so, if you would, with your Bibles open to Isaiah 6, would you stand as, as we read the word of the Lord together? And <clears throat> The Bible says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Let's pause right there for now and just go to the Lord in prayer. God, you know us so much better than we know ourselves, and you know this country far better than we know it. And Lord, you are Lord over this country, you are Lord over this world. God, I pray that you would reign in our hearts, reign in your church. Teach us, lead us. Show us what you want us to see. Show us what you want us to know and, and empower us to do what you want us to do. God, I pray that you would develop in us who you want us to be for your kingdom's sake. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. 
So in, in light of all of the things that, that we see going on, I just want to, to give some perspective in God's Word and hopefully set your hearts at ease. And a few truths that I want to, to share from the Word today. And the first, the first is that God is calling us to fear Him more than we ever have before. God is calling us to fear Him more than we ever have before. And as we, as we look at this text, as we've seen here, think of that picture. Isaiah got a very rare look. A very rare picture. I don't, I don't know what how to picture this in my mind, but he got a glimpse into heaven. And I think it's interesting how he dated this, this whole passage for us. He gave us the date. It was in the year King Uzziah died. And what year is that? Well, that's not important to us. We don't know that readily in our calculator, or, I mean our calendar on our phone. But it was very important to the original readers in that year, so it, this really happened. I wasn't dreaming or I wasn't having a nightmare after drinking spoiled milk or whatever. This, was, this really happened. It was this year, you know, the year the king, who we all know who this king is, was king for 50 years. I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. I have experienced God in, in unique and in cool ways in my life, but I can't say that I saw the Lord. I have seen His creation. I've seen His hand at work. I know that His Spirit has moved in my life and, and in things around me, but the dude saw the Lord. It's a big deal. <clears throat> and so... What is interesting is when he saw the Lord, it wasn't like you saw a good movie and say, you know what, guys? Man, that was good. You got to see that. He was afraid. He was afraid, like terrified. And so if we look and we see this, we see other times that um, in the Bible where people were afraid. And it's interesting because I've heard people translate air quotes, wait, air quotes both, that when you say, I fear God, it doesn't really mean to fear God, it means to honor God. That's garbage. <laughs> when we see God, we see God like Isaiah saw God, I think it could only be fear. Fear. And in other times in the Bible, where when God revealed his glory on Mount Sinai, the Bible says, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. It wasn't because it was cold. They trembled. They had to stay away from the mountain lest they be consumed. You know, and, and when the Bible shares when Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and God was there. The disciples, the Bible says when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified in Matthew 17. And, and there's other places when John, <clears throat> in Revelation, when he talks about seeing Jesus in the book of Revelation, it says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. 
All this to say, these visions of of God, like we're reading here, there's no chance they just we would be sitting calmly in our seat. Say, hey, look, it's pretty cool, isn't it? They feared. They feared, and and when I say in the year that King Uzziah died, I'm not drawing any parallels to any ruler currently or in our future or our past, and and all of that stuff. What I'm saying is, he was their king for 52 years, and and we change out our leaders every four or eight years. So there's no real parallel there, but still, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah and his people, the people of Israel, they were facing very uncertain times. And it was a time of political decay, social decay, spiritual decay. And as I think about those things, I I can't help but to draw a parallel there of where we are. We are in a time of, of spiritual decay, political and social decay, certainly unrest. And so, there are some parallels. There are some some similarities, and so I believe that we should fear God as never before. And so, let's keep that in mind. And why would we fear God? Well, because He's God. But but check this out. Just a, a few quick truths to focus on here. God is in control. And <clears throat> isn't that good? Isn't that good to think about that God is in control? You know, there's times in our lives where we got it. We have everything under control. The, the kids are good. The job's going well. Everything around the house is working. And we feel like, man, I got this. This is good. But then there's other times where, where health breaks down. A, a leg gets broken. The dryer doesn't work. The kids are unruly and... And on all of these things, and then suddenly, unrest. Unrest is crazy, and we can't take it. The issue is, is that we felt like we were in control when everything was going on, when really, we weren't. We just have anything to do. And so, is the case now. So now when things are in political unrest and and all these other things and we want to go crazy, the point is that God is in control just like he was when we felt like everything was going how we wanted it to go. And I think too, when he says, I saw the sovereign one, I saw him sitting on the throne, Think about what that means. You know, he is on the throne. He's not on the throne for four years or eight years if he's really good. He's on the throne. And why is he on the throne? It's his. (laughs) There's no one going to take it from him. He is on his throne. And he is not leaving. He's not looking for you to keep him there. He is not looking for you to vote him there. He is on the throne. He is in control. And so not only that, but but God is in a class of his own. He is in a class of his own. And it's not he is on the throne of many thrones. He is on the throne. And I think Tozer, A.W. Tozer, put it this way. When his throne is high and lifted up. And Tozer says, we must not think of God as highest in an ascending order of being, starting with a single cell, going up to a a fish, to a bird, animal, to man, to angel, to cherub, to God. He is as high above an archangel as above a caterpillar, for the gulf that separated the archangel from the caterpillar is but finite, while the gulf between God and the archangel is infinite. You know, there's no one like him. It's, it's not even close. 
And so he's in control. He's in a class of his own. And God is awesome in his beauty. Think of that picture. The train of his robe filled the temple. And I think the only thing I have to go on is a wedding dress. You know, the wedding dresses you see are beautiful and you... You picture the bride and the train flowing behind her and, and all of this. The imagery here is the, the fullness of God's splendor on display for the world to see. And so this God who is in a class of his own and in control is beautiful. And that's just a bonus for us because he's in control anyway. If he was ugly, he would still be in control. But he's in control in a class of his own and beautiful. And God is surrounded by all. He is surrounded by all. A lot of the picture that he is describing here, Isaiah is describing these, these seraphs, the burning ones. They are less than God. God is beautiful, and just the, the train of his robe fills the temple, right? But then those who surround him, the, the words that mean the burning ones, are the attendants. And so you know if the ones who are your attendants are on fire, just by their nature, not because somebody lit them off. Now, this is a pretty cool scene, right? And so... He is surrounded by all of this. And so, what this means is, I, wanna, I don't want you to think that what we're reading in Scripture is a snapshot that took place in the year King Uzziah died, and that's it. What I want to tell you is, today, as we are worshiping, these holy ones, these burning ones, are around the throne right now right now, praising the God who is awesome, the beautiful one, the one that is in a class of his own on the throne. They are worshiping right now. And so we, as we worship, we joined with them in worshiping the same one that they were doing the same thing in the year that King Uzziah died a long, long time ago. He has not run out of all, and they have not say, stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so, picture this as we think of the things that stress us out this week. The fifth quick truth is that God is perfect in His purity. And, you know, when we, we say that we should fear God as never before. These are great reasons why we should fear him as never before because God is perfect in his purity. So I refer again to what are they singing? Holy, holy, holy. I remember in, in my days past when I dealt with worship wars and, you know, hymns or not hymns and all of those things and and people would get upset with, with these few words that you would just keep singing over and over and over. And, and they called them 7-Eleven, and you have the same seven words, and you sing them 11 times. And, and because I'm a smart aleck, and sarcasm is my spiritual gift, I would refer to this, and hymn number one in the Baptist hymnal is, Holy, Holy, Holy. And that song was from, you know, a couple hundred years ago. This song, they were singing holy, 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 and they're still singing holy, holy, holy today. And they're not going to stop because God is perfect in his purity. He is holy. There is no one, there is nothing like God. There's not even one ounce of sin, nothing. I remember watching a documentary a long time ago, probably a National Geographic thing, and they were building the Hubble telescope. And the purity of the glass out of which they made the lens for this joker, I do this, but it's like, whoop, it's huge, is incredible. They 
they took the glass that we see, even like picture frame glass, if you blow it up and you look at it through a microscope, you can see imperfections all through it. All through it. And so if you are creating a lens that can see Mars from wherever the Hubble telescope is, that's a long way. And you're blowing it up a lot. And so you would see any imperfection. And why is that important? Well, because if it's the Hubble telescope and you're seeing things that no man has seen before, am I seeing a new planet or am I seeing a spot of dirt? That's important. And so when they created this thing, they crafted this this lens out of the most pure glass they had no bubbles you think of what a bubble could look like at 60 million light years away or whatever and so they got all of those and so they would they had all of these craftsmen after it was as pure as possible still crawling around on this huge glass with this little tool looked like a dremel like well, this will bring up good thoughts the dentist drill, when they go, right? They were looking, and if they would see through this microscope, looking into this little piece of the Hubble lens, and they saw this speck of dirt, they would drill it out, and then fill it with pure clear resin or whatever to, to make it not be a bubble or not be a speck of dirt, because purity is important. God didn't have to fill any holes. It's pure. And from heaven to earth, in the sight of the holy ones, in the sight of us, he is perfect and pure in all his ways. Why should we fear him? Number six, because he, God commands a heavenly army. He is not weak. God is not weak. He possesses all power Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. You know, the host refers to angelic armies. He is, he is a, a powerful God as well. And so, all of these angels in heaven are at his disposal. But then, number seven, God fills the earth with his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. I don't know exactly how to, to quantify that in my mind. The whole earth is full of his glory. I know when I look at a sunrise or a sunset, I see beauty. When I see the things that he's made, especially things that I'd never seen before, I think, wow, it's pretty awesome. When you see a rainbow or... You know, you just see majestic mountains that he has made. You think, wow, that's beautiful. But just as that, the end of his robe, the train of his robe fills the temple, his glory fills the earth. And I imagine that if the earth was a million times bigger, he wouldn't have any trouble filling it then either. And so he fills the earth. Isaiah 40, 26 says, Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. You know how many stars we can observe in the universe with our best telescopes? About a billion trillion, scientists say. I don't know who does the counting, but a lot, a whole, whole lot. And I find it interesting that we don't know much of anything about these stars. In my whole lifetime, pretty much all they know about the stars is pretty much where they are. You know, this one's there and it doesn't tend to move. And then, oh wait, that one just disappeared. God created them and put them there for his purpose, for his glory, and he knows them by name. And if he wants to name a star Fred, he can do it. They're his. He made them. He fills the earth with his glory, and even beyond good night, even beyond all of that. 
And so, in light of that, of all of those things that we've just spoken about in our fear of God, how does that compare to the politics of this country? Does that put it in perspective a bit of who this God is through all time and eternity? You know, God is the sovereign king on the throne. Which means that God is the president over the president. You know, and whoever is in the White House, or whomever might ever be in the White House, God owns him. And God is the Supreme Court over the Supreme Court, no matter who the justices are. And in all of these things, he's in control. God is the chief executive. God is the legislature. God is the court. And so we fear him alone. And... And I want to be careful in this too. Whenever we hear God's name invoked in our political discourse in this day and age, you know, people or politicians speaking or acting or leading and legislating in all kinds of ways that go against God's word only to finish with a hearty God bless America. The reality is that God will not bless America if we defy his word or defy his name. And so, we fear him. The only reason the United States has not already collapsed completely is because the grace of God. And that is true now just as true as it was 200 years ago. It's a matter of God's matchless grace. The only reason our country will be here tomorrow is if if God sustains it. It's not because our power, it's not because of our vote. It is because of God's hand of power and his grace. There's a song something about God shedding his grace on the So we fear him. Secondly, God's calling us to cry out for his mercy like our lives and our families, our church, city, our country, and world depends on it. Because they do. You know, I believe God is calling us to cry out for his mercy. And I think that it's, this brings us to another point of in Isaiah that when Isaiah saw this vision of God, his response to it was not wow, but whoa. And that's, that's a big deal. It wasn't like, wow, this is cool. It's like, whoa, I stink. I am low in comparison to this God. You know, woe is me because I'm a sinner before a God who is holy. And so, think about it. We have, we spent months and months in this country examining two candidates and what we believe is right or wrong about each of them, and evaluating their personalities and all of those things, their positions, their politics. and But if we, think about if we examined our own hearts, our own personalities, in comparison with the Holy God, You know, we're in a dangerous spot if we start 
redefining ourselves by who we want to compare to instead of a holy God. And so, we want to, we want to have a humble view of ourselves as Isaiah did because we're in comparison to our maker, a holy God who is real and powerful. And so, because of that, we need mercy. If we think that we are God, or we redefine terms where we're really in our minds better than we are, better than God's Word says we are, well, then we can put ourselves above certain people. We can look down on people and think that we're better than them or act as if we're better than them and on all of these things. But we live in a sinful world, in a, a sinful country. Listen, picture where we are in our country, in this world, and hear Romans chapter 1 verse 24 and, and following. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but gave approval to those who practice them. God have mercy on us. And sadly, I don't think there's one thing on that list of sin that we could cross off. I don't think there's one thing. There may be a few words we would need to look up. But Romans 1. But in this text, Isaiah cried out to God for mercy. And the startling reality of Isaiah 6, and really all the Bible is that God actually stands ready to dispense mercy to all who asks. And you see this picture, you know, even, even here in Isaiah, the angel at the bidding of God takes the tongs, goes to the altar, and pulls off a live coal burning hot and touches his lips. That couldn't have felt good. And I'm not sure there's a price too great to pay for sin. And he says, you know, in this picture of cleansing, God says, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. How is it even possible that an angel can take a coal, burn his face, and forgive sin. 
You know, how is it possible for the holy and just judge of the universe to declare a sinner not guilty of sin? It's only possible if a sacrifice has been paid to cover over that sin. And this is what the book of Isaiah is pointing out. And Isaiah 53 tells us how how Jesus would come as God's son to pay the price for sin. He would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And upon him would be the, the chastisement that brought peace and with his wounds we are healed. If you are a believer, listen closely. You will one day stand before God as your judge. One day I will stand before God as my judge. And it could be today, it could be tomorrow, but the the bottom line is you will be there on your own, in your sin, left to yourself, And were it not for Christ, you and I would be cast out of God's presence into everlasting eternal judgment. Unless there was a time or is a time in your life where you cried out for God's mercy. Unless we cry out for His mercy forgiveness of our sin and then so we've been saved those who are in Christ we have been saved we're still in need of his mercy and so we pray regardless of who our president is we pray for our president we pray for mercy for ourselves for one another and we take up even 1 Timothy 2 commands us to do so, to pray for our leaders. And so, so finally, I want us to focus on this. After, after we get to the point where we know we need to fear because God is, His character is all of those things, and then as we cry out for God's mercy... We follow the example of Isaiah as we believe that, number three, God is calling us to get on with our mission. God is calling us to get on with our mission. In all of this, you see the the text in Isaiah chapter 6 where he says in verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And then I said, For how long, O Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. And so, in all of these things, the things that we deal with temporarily, the politics and, and the, the, the gross downturn of morality and and spirituality in our country. All of these things do not change who we are. Isn't it cool that we serve a God 
who no matter what happens around us or in our world, that his plans do not change. The mission does not change. You know, we did not get an addendum or appendices to the Bible that says, you know, after all of the junk that you guys have been going to going through in your country, man, I didn't see that coming. You know, just hold off on the Great Commission for now. I'll get back with you on when we can do this. Because right now I'm crying in heaven. That would be dumb. We serve a God who is sovereign in all of this. And all of this is, is going on. And, you know, we're chicken little. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Our country is going to you know where and you know what. And, and all of this and that man and that man. And God's saying, Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Teaching them all that I have commanded you and and don't forget I'm with you always to the very end of the age. No matter if the age ends today, with us. And so, let's stay together for the sake of our mission. And regardless of the outcome of how this this, this president and Congress and all of the rulers and judges and all of this stuff goes. No matter if we voted in or voted out, you know, we still, if we voted for, you know, with a conscience of the the unborn in mind. Let's live it out by serving those who who have aborted. Let's serve those who have adopted. You know, let's we still carry on the mission, even though we live in a crazy, messed up world right now. And even in this, I think of if you were against um, illegal immigrants flooding into our nation and you were hoping that your vote would have changed some things, think of the mission field that's walking across our borders. And if our if our thought is to eternity, though we live or could live in a ravished land as Israel was, what an opportunity to share the greatest news ever. And um And what I'm saying is we are called to be His. And none of this has changed. Circumstance around us change. But the foundation upon which our, our life is built, those foundations should not have even be shaken unless we've tried to build a foundation on something other than our God. And so, who created us hasn't changed. Where we're going to spend eternity, if you're in Christ, it hasn't changed. Our mission while we're on this earth hasn't changed. So the big stuff hasn't changed. The fact that God's in our hearts and controls us and brings us through, even if everything falls apart, He's still there, He's still strong, and He still will lead us how He wants us to go. And so, don't become chicken little. Because even if the country falls to the ground, Christ reigns. 
He is on his throne. He is in control. And the sky that fell on Chicken Little, Chicken Little couldn't have held it up anyway. Right? Now we know it was all in his mind, or her mind. But hear it. Here's the point. When we felt things were so good, and we felt like this control thing and everything is easy, I witnessed through my lifetime the church getting lazy. And, and I'm not talking the little C church, not this church. I'm talking the American church got lazy. And this, the American church had no thought toward what suffering could be. And the, the doctrine of suffering from the Bible... And so what do you do with that as an American and you read when Christ says, if, if you're anything like me, they're going to hate you and you're going to suffer. And then we go through many generations in America and Christians don't suffer. And I've always thought, well, what are we doing wrong? And then there's some foreshadowing in the news. Hmm. Interesting. But the sky didn't fall. Because God held it up. Think about Israel. God's chosen people. Think of all of the things that they went through. Enslaved as a country, you know, in Egypt, enslaved. Just because of who they were, they were enslaved. And they were enslaved for a long time, hundreds of years. And they had no country, though God had promised them land. And imagine what their thoughts were. This stinks. This is terrible. But was God still on his throne? Yes. Were there flaming angels surrounding his throne, praising him every day, even while they were making bricks with no straw? Yes. When they came to the promised land, they turned their back on God, and God used Babylon and, and Assyria to take them out, and they watched they watched the walls crumble. They watched the temple be destroyed. They saw these things. They saw their brothers and sisters dying. They saw this with their own eyes. Was God not still on the throne? Yes. Were there not flaming angels still glorifying his name? Yes. Even though they had no country, and even though they served in other areas in Assyria, they had opportunities. Remember Daniel? Opportunity to glorify the name of Christ. What a, what a garbage kind of lifestyle they must have thought they were living. And they were the immigrants. They were the ones, the legal kind of. But the bottom line, even though they were in another land, he saw God has called me to tell the greatest news I've ever heard. Even though they want to kill me, I am going to pray because I fear him, because he is worthy. Because his eyes were not on where he lived, but on the one who created him to live for his purpose. And so keep these things in perspective as we think over the, the next four years, or eight years, or if you live 85 more years. Because think about it. 125 years from now, we're all going to be dead. And the 7 billion people that are on this planet are going to be replaced with 10 billion other people on this planet because we're going to be dead. Every single one of us going to be dead, gone. But God's still going to be alive. And so, it's a perspective that we need to see in the Bible when we're looking like this 
And it all stinks if we broaden our eyes through the word. There's not only hope, but man, there is incredible power. We serve this king. And so let's serve him. Let's live. But don't redefine what the prize is. When you felt like, or if you have ever felt like winning, was anything except a life in Christ that lasts forever, you defined it really wrong. And so if, if, the, if the prize is being victorious politically or in wealth, and you get there, you say, Woo, I got there, and then you say, what is this? But if the prize, if winning, is a relationship with Christ forever, gonna win and when you do you don't ever not win because the prize never goes away it's not taxed it's forever and so i feel like isaiah 6 gives us perspective today on who we are and what we need to be doing and so let us hear this and allow the spirit to work in us amen Let's pray together. Would you stand with me? Father, you have given us your word, and we are so grateful for it. God, forgive us when we, we try to rewrite your word, or we try to just look for the parts that look like what we want it to. But Father, give us a perspective on life in America during these days and help us to to be founded on the rock and lord that 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 foundation that you give us will never be washed away but father i pray that if there's anyone within the sound of my voice right now that has a foundation other than one that is built by you or one that is you Lord, I pray that you would help cause conviction and, Lord, a rebuilding process where a foundation built by human hands could be torn away, even right now, and confessed as sin and turned to you to be the rock, to be the one foundation that will never fade, that will never fail, that will never crumble. And so God, help keep our eyes on you. Help us to be, be faithful to you as we follow after you. And God, I pray that in these moments, that there's any steps that you want us to take, any commitments to make even right now, that you would lead us to do just that as we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.